All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? My name's Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. It's been my podcast, WTF, for almost a decade. Since 2009, folks. How's it going? Are you all right? How you holding up in the heat? It's bad, right? It's like end of the world bad, right? It's like, oh man, we fucked it up bad, isn't it? Or maybe you're of the other way of thinking. Nah, it's just, this is this happens. It's happened before. No, it hasn't. I think it was 175 degrees in Detroit. Maybe I'm exaggerating. I think it was 192 in Scottsdale, Arizona. Is that, am I off? I think it might have broke 200. It might have broke 200 in Maine. That seems worrisome. I think it was 212 degrees in Florida, but that's, but you have the ocean, so it's nice. You just have to wear a sunblock, maybe use paint. Yeah, maybe you should just use some kind of a ceramic coating for yourself. So look, Gina Davis is on the show today. Gina Davis is, I don't use this word a lot, but I hung around with Ira Glass for a few minutes and he uses it a while back. Wonderful. Wonder, Gina Davis is wonderful. She's she's in Glow. She's in the new season of Glow, which I think premieres uh, August 9th, I believe. Uh, but she's she has a lot more important things going on, to be quite honest with you. She'll be receiving the Gene Herschalt Humanitarian Award by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences at this year's Governor's Award Ceremony. She's got that going on. And she executive produced the documentary, This Changes Everything. It will have a one-night-only showing across the country tonight, July 22nd, before going out into theaters and on demand on August 9th. This uh, documentary blew my mind, changed my mind, changed my life. You know, it's uh, as, as some of you have gleaned from my disposition, I seem to be putting a, a lot of new things in the head opening the heart a little bit, understanding my part in things and understanding the way the world works. It's a painful process, you know, especially because the world is ending. It's sad that a lot of us are going to be kind of coming into our own and understanding how, you know, what's really happening and how we can help. And then it's just going to burn up. It was, it was 272 degrees in St. Louis last night. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not kidding. I, your pool better be cold. You better have some ice cubes in the pool because it was almost 300 degrees in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, don't don't even talk about Texas. It was up around 390. Thank God for the suits, right? The heat suits that we have now. Thank God. Yeah, there's not a lot of vegetation to look at. It's just kind of a baked landscape with cracks and stuff. Few lizards. Few lizards lived. Yeah, some other weird new bugs. Some large spiders. Basically, what they used to have in Australia is all the wildlife we have in the continent now. Just large spiders, fucked up snakes, and uh, yeah. And then there are the, the strange people that have adapted and grown scales. They're disconcerting. But hey, you know, it's good that we can we have our, our cooled down apartments and we have our heat suits and we can go out into the 382 degree weather in Houston. It's all right. It's going to be okay. Look, look. Oh, God. Sword of Trust. Sword of Trust, the movie I'm in, the movie that Lynn Shelton directed, it's spreading. We're spreading to theaters. It's like viral. 
We're now up to more than 70 theaters across the country showing the movie Sword of Trust this summer. Go to sortoftrust.com to check out if it's going to be playing near you. This Friday, it expands to more than 20 new cities, including Atlanta, Philadelphia, Seattle, and Portland, Oregon. Also, I will be at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal, where it is now just under 362 degrees. That's this weekend. I'll be in Montreal. And next week, starting Thursday, August 1st, I'll be at Good Nights in Raleigh, North Carolina, where it was a, a comfortable 194 degrees yesterday. No problem. Water rising. My brother was in town. I have a brother. I have a little brother. And we had a nice time. And, and, I, and, and again, it, something's happening. Something's happening to my heart. I'm telling you. He just came out for the weekend. You know, he called me a few weeks ago and he was like, uh, why, don't, why don't we hang out? We're brothers. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we should. I, but he lives in Phoenix. I live here. And it was just one of those things. It's like, why are we not? I just, I just, he said, I just feel like hanging out with you. And I'm like, that sounds good. So uh, he came out and we just spent the weekend together. Had some nice food. It was so great. It was so great because I don't, I don't know. You know, it's rare that you, like, even if my mom comes here, which she did once, it wasn't bad, but I don't know what to do with my mom after an hour. Do you? But you do. You hang out, you do this, you go, you shop, you do whatever you're going to do. But it's my bro. It's my brother, my brother, Craig. He came out and we just, you know, we, we literally sat in the car and listened to jazz for like a half hour before one of the screenings of Sword of Trust, had a bite to eat, got up cooked some food, sat around, listened to music, talked about whatever, just no distance, no, you know, just brothers, man. And we just kind of, we took a walk, we took a hike and we just talked, no pressure, brothers, brothers, my brother, and I love him. And he's a nice guy. He's nicer than me. It's weird because we're brothers and I don't know what your sibling relationship is, but I look at him, I see myself, we got the same drive shaft the same wiring but somehow or another he uh he fought the good fight with himself and he's a nicer guy you know things are heavy for him and things are heavy for me sometimes but generally you know i'm a little defensive first he's always nice i introduce him to friends of mine and they're like he's really nice and of course i'm like what are you saying what does that mean what does it mean that my brother's nice what about me you're all right all right i get it he's like a nice version of me it's an inspiration it's an inspiration so this Gina Davis conversation, I watched the documentary. I didn't know what it was. I, you know, I just recently worked with Gina Davis. I love Gina Davis. Who doesn't love Gina Davis? But I watched a documentary called This Changes Everything. And it's really about equal opportunity, equal pay in show business. It's about the struggle women have in that business and in general and what really the product of show business is and how it represents women it kind of uh, it focuses a bit on young girls and what they're taking in when you limit the presence of women or limit the characters of women or limit the actual women that can do the work behind the camera, in front of the camera, that why wouldn't young girls watching it sort of contextualize the world like that? Well, the world has been like that. And I'm in the process of educating myself and being educated. And that was a, it's really mind-blowing because Gina put together this, I don't know if it's a foundation or what you would call it, to do the research to really get data on representation of women on screen, on camera, and also obviously in you know writer rooms, writing rooms and directors, but that's easier to get that data. But to really, she had people 
sort of sit down with all the movies and just make notes. And the dad is disturbing. And it's, it, I'll talk to her about it, but it was, um, I, I've been talking to a lot of very powerful but informative women on this show recently, and it is helping me, and I hope the conversations are helping you. I do, and I'm not, again, this is not what you would call virtue signaling. This is a person re-educating himself in the proper way, okay? So the the documentary, This Changes Everything, will have a one-night-only showing across the country tonight. This is July 22nd, before going out into theaters and on demand on August 9th. And that's also the Day Glow season three premieres on Netflix. So you can watch me and Gina in that. And also she'll be receiving, as I said at the beginning, the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award by the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences at this year's Governor's Award Ceremony. And she deserves it. This, The work she's been doing, she's just great. She's just great. And I talked to her. And now you can listen to us talk. Now. <laughs> Did you have fun fun. doing that show? I did, yeah. I had a good time. You guys are great, yeah. I know it was weird this season because we're all, and I can't spoil anything, I don't think, but we're all sort of off doing our own lives. Right. So I missed I missed all of that. The singing, the show. Like I wasn't there. Oh right. So I gotta wait. I have to wait to see it. (laughs) I have to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but that was good. I was so happy you were part of it. Yeah, it was really fun. You guys are great. Yeah, yeah, they're also it's crazy. Yeah, in the it's Vegas, crazy. It, yeah, did yeah. it get crazier when? I, see, I feel like I missed everything. I can't now. I feel we're, we're into the spoiler territory. Yeah, yeah. So I watched um I watched a doc last night. This changes everything. You did cool. Why well, it would have been pretty awful if you showed up and go like, no, I didn't really have time to watch your little lady thing. You know, um, hopefully I'll. Be able to get it. Well, you know, I'll try to fit it in at some other point, but uh, we can talk about it anyways. <laughs> that lady thing, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it seemed pretty interesting. I just, you know, it, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, I hope you guys work it out. <laughs> but I, I found it, you know, being, um, you know, somebody, what's interesting is I've been talking about this a lot lately because I, I talked to Eve Ensler and I've been talking about it in my stand-up as well about mm. my generation of men and I was keeping it specific that like I'm 55 so mm. I would say things like you know my generation of men you know really needed this waking or this education but it really turns out culturally that I think that the documentary shows very specifically that it's it's not in any way that that men are victims here in the sense that we all got the same information. Right. So like the the patriarchy or the cultural sexism was not my generation. It's something that all of us right grew up with. Absolutely. Right. So so there's like you know for me like I I made this assumption somehow that well there's this younger generation of the evolved dudes right. that are you know are sensitive to all these things. And it's 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 not true that all generations, and you prove it fairly specifically, right, right. are were brought up with this cultural education and institutional education, and I and it just broadened, you know, what I was already sort of dealing with and, and trying to wrap my head around, right. into a, a more common experience that like there's no men that are, that get off the hook in terms of what they grew up in. There's no like maybe some are more evolved than others and more sensitive. Yeah. But we're all getting the same information. Right, right. 
So we're all sort of uh, that was the that was the ocean we we um, you know, white male entitled fish were swimming in. Right. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. But when you look back, I guess you know because I, I want to talk about the whole thing. But I, I think that your experience, you know, as a woman, and obviously, you know, a lot of this starts with you know what are young girls taking in. Right. You know, because you know the this industry dictates. The cultural narrative in a lot of ways. Yes, right. Yeah. Right. But when you look back at your own life starting out, um, are there things that you frame as regrets? No, no, I don't. Uh, uh, well, you know, I I wish that I was, uh, that I became woke a lot sooner, you know, because... Uh, you know, we're getting the same message uh, yeah. as the men that, right. that uh, I mean, which is, frankly, that women are second-class citizens, but, you know, nobody realized that. Right. Uh, women didn't. Even. Women, yeah. Uh, and I don't think men did either. I don't think consciously they thought, well, women are second-class citizens. I don't know. It, it was just the way things were. Just they, kind of the it, way things were. Yeah, there's a, a sort of weird, sort of established historical codependency. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that, and that's, that's being... Yeah, probably trivializing it actually. It's, yeah. it's worse than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, uh, so I wish I'd noticed things sooner. And p- p- partly, for me, one of the biggest things was um, learning that it's okay to speak up and and stand up for yourself. You know, uh, I was raised <laughs> in a very very specific way. Where to uh, in Massachusetts, small. What? Small town. What part? Wareham. It's right near the Cape. Yeah, I know. I, I used yeah. to. I started my career there and doing one nighters all over the Cape. Oh no way! And all over Massachusetts. That's cool. So I'm familiar with those towns. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, the ones that are closer to Boston. Some of them are pretty dicey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. But what? Well, how anyway, were you brought up? Well, uh, to be that that being polite was the number one most important thing in the world. To have people like you uh-huh. and not cause any waves and have no needs right um in fact I, I i keep thinking if i wrote a book it maybe a title would be i almost died of politeness or something like right. that because i actually i'll tell you the funny story uh when i was a little kid i had an uncle that was 99 and we went to dinner with him. my parents and i went to dinner with my uncle, the ninety-nine-year-old and, and his wife, and, yeah. he, and he drove. Yeah, uh, and uh, no. when we were driving back, uh, he kept kind of veering into the oncoming traffic lane <laughs> yeah. and then veering back and veering right, in, right. and it was all kind of okay but scary. And and my mom, uh, I was on the. Uh, behind the driver she put, picked me up and put me in the middle of the two of them so that when we died I would die a little bit less uh, <laughs> and uh, and then he veered into the oncoming traffic lane and stayed there and we were about to have a head-on collision and nobody said anything my wow. pa- my parents didn't say anything yeah and it was literally like we're gonna die in one second yeah and uh, finally, his wife said, a little to the right, Jack. And he veered right. And I still remember the faces of the people uh, with the horror on their faces as they drove Thank God by she stepped in. Inches away. Right. But my parents would have rather die and kill me than say, 
you know, steer right. Yeah. Or even very politely, like mm-hmm. she said, maybe a little bit to yeah. the right, Jack. You know? but, but, but when they got home, did either of them go like, why is he still driving? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> What did, how did they? What did they do? Your parents? Uh, my dad was in the Corps of Engineers his whole life, mm-hmm. and uh, my mom was uh, teacher's aide and worked in uh, as a nursing home craft uh-huh. per- person, yeah. and uh, and was a waitress in a restaurant. She always had some kind of job. Going and on. and they, was it a religious thing or just a, a, a New England thing or like the politeness and the, the the kind of? I mean, how were you brought up in that way? I I don't know if it was. Uh, I guess it's not inherently religious. I just wonder, like, in well, they terms- were they were very religious, but it was it was something about you know, and also having no needs from anybody else. You absolutely don't need anything from anybody. Sure. Like uh, when I went to friend's house uh, to play, yeah, I couldn't eat or drink anything. Like if even if they were handing you an ice cold glass of water that they already poured, yeah, I had to say no thanks. I'm not thirsty. That's polite. Yes, evidently. Yeah. yeah, it was weird. So I grew up never uh, thinking about my opinions of anything. You know that that I just should uh, uh, g- go along and try to make sure that everybody really, really liked me. And uh, I drove when I when I dated, I drove guys crazy because they'd say, "What do you want to eat?" Uh, I, I don't know, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Where, Nothing. Do, where do you want to go? Nothing, really. No, I, I, I don't want, and, and it would be, finally be like, oh my God, will you just say what you want? Yeah. Uh, but so I entered the business with that kind of mindset. And, and so there was never any question that I was going to say, uh, can we change this line or I don't want to do that right. or something like that. But when you started, like when you're in, you're in Wareham, when did you start getting interested in expressing yourself in acting or, because right. you do a lot of things. I mean, right. you play instruments, you, you shoot arrows, <laughs> you act, you know, and now you're an activist. Right. But what was the first thing? Uh, well, my parents said I told them when I was three that I wanted to be in movies. Yeah. And I can't even... What would I have seen? How would I know that was a job even, you know? Uh, but You probably somebody, saw some kid that was having a good time. I saw something. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that, and that was it. That was my, that yeah. was it. It was either that or I also was attracted to wrapping presents in a department store. I thought that was like the coolest job ever. <laughs> Around the same time, I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that one drifted to the wayside. It did. You know, by about five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you did, did you act in high school and all the way through it? No, I I kind of kept it to myself. It was kind of like this thing I was going to do once I left. No arts. <clears throat> uh, well, like music and and art, art. You know, yeah. I was really into drawing and yeah. painting and stuff like What'd that. What'd you play? Uh, flute, piano, and pipe organ. Do you play any of them still? Uh, not. Regularly, though. Pipe organ. Yeah, well, because my piano teacher was also the organist at our church, and so she taught me how to play the organ, and then when they had an early youth service at church, I played the organ. That's that's a powerful feeling. It was Playing a big pipe organ. Yeah. Yeah, man. Wow. Uh, So when did you actively start doing it, the acting? uh, I decided I was going to study it in college mm-hmm. uh i didn't i didn't know there were schools you could go where it was only acting i would have gone there but um 
but I asked my music teacher, where do, where do people go if they want to yeah. uh, study acting? And he said, oh, Boston University. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I went. <laughs> yeah, in School of the Arts? Yeah. I went to yeah. BU. You did? Yeah. Where did you study? I was in the English department, but I took classes up there. Yeah. You know, with Bill Young, I think his name Oh, was. yeah, Bill Young. He was yeah, my yeah. teacher, yeah. Oh, yeah? Oh, what do you know? <laughs> uh, he was kind of intense. He was pretty intense. Yeah. He was cool, though. I liked him. So it was like, it, it's become a pretty good program. Was it good when you were there? Uh, it has become a great program. Uh, it was It was good. They, um, there was very little uh, emphasis on film acting or television acting was all about theater yeah and and i think they sort of looked down on anything besides theater and so i kind of felt out of place like this is the nuts and bolts of it right you you can do whatever you want with it after but don't talk to us about it right yeah we're giving you the pure stuff yeah yeah so uh so i felt a little bit out of place and then um uh they never said if you want to go into movies you should go to LA nobody ever said that <laughs> so I went to New York with everybody else everybody went to New for York theater. after school for Who theater. was anyone else in your uh, class that we know well uh, uh, Nina Tassler was the um, what did she end up being chairman of CBS mm-hmm. for about 10 years and uh, and she's my best friend and, and we went to be went to school oh you together. were together yeah. she was in the acting program yeah yeah oh wow yeah I, think, I always find that interesting that there there are people like in comedy as well who you know they they have a they have a skill set or they learn the skill set but they 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 don't always end up in that position in the business right you know like a lot of comics end up actors or producers or you know some but like you know she became she's in show business right yeah. absolutely yeah. did she used to direct or do any of that stuff before or was it no. like did she just go the business route after? she went the business route oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. she was like this acting is not gonna <laughs> not gonna do it I ain't uh, gonna make a break on this one uh, I guess it's tough right it is. So you go to New York? Yeah, I went to New York. Uh, Scramble around? Scrambled around. Uh, I didn't know how I was supposed to get in a movie. So, oh, well, so I had this idea <laughs> because, what's her name, Christy Brinkley was getting offered movie parts and Lauren Hutton too. Yeah. I thought, oh, okay, I'll just become a model and then they'll just ask me to act. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's so much easier to become a supermodel. <laughs> Sure, yeah, yeah. Good, but, good plan B. Good plan B, yeah. It's <laughs> my backup plan. Uh, but anyway, I did become a model. I didn't have um, that kind of a success. I was on the cover of New Jersey, New Jersey Monthly, though. Good for you. Yes. Yeah, do you I, have that framed at home? I had a... You know, I don't. I should have it up on the wall. Because my face doesn't even show. <laughs> oh, really? I'm in a bathing suit with a hat over my face. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, but but I did get cast in Tootsie from being a model. The part required the character to be in her underwear a lot. And they figured, let's see if there's any models comfortably who, in her who underwear. can act. Yes, yeah. exactly. Just, just very comfortable. And uh, so they called my agency and they said, we have, we have one. We have a model who can act. And uh, I tried out for the, I read for the part, just, you know, put it on tape or whatever uh, with the uh, casting assistant. Uh-huh. And uh, they had said, wear a bathing suit under your clothes. And if you read well, they'll want to see you in a bathing suit because, you know, the part. And so I went and I had a bathing suit on under my clothes. But they never said, can we see your bathing suit? So I 
put it completely out of my mind. What are the odds my first audition, uh, I'm going to get a part with Dustin Hoffman? You know, right. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, and, and what are the odds you're, you're going to get a part where you don't have to take your clothes off? Right. Like in the audition. You know? Right, but right, you, right. You <laughs> exactly. And, and you got it. And the, But then I got it because I, I, went, I was in Paris when they said, hey, we like this girl. Where's her bathing suit? Uh, stuff and I said oh we forgot get her back oh no she's in Paris well do they have any photos of her in a bathing suit <laughs> and I had been in a Victoria's Secret catalog I thought you were going to say the cover of New Jersey magazine yeah well they could have said that, that. Yeah. yeah but yeah they sent them the Victoria's Secret catalog and they were like okay and, look at her and, and okay so like okay in retrospect you, you know in terms of because I my uh, my first wife was a, a model and mm. And that was the trajectory she was on. Now, are are you noticing, you know, this sort of like, uh, you know, the propensity towards objectification completely? I mean, did you have any reaction to to that experience, you know, uh, you know, as somebody who was in that business? Right. Not no, because you didn't frame it that We're, way. Again, I didn't you, frame you, it you, that were, you were living within the patriarchal. F- framework exactly that was just life right that was the ocean that we were all swimming exactly that's right that's right and you had your you had what you wanted to do and it was starting to manifest right so it it was not there was no injustice to the system it it worked quite well for you in that moment it did (laughs) you're right i never thought about that so (gasps) but all right so the experience of of working with hoffman and pollock was that oh my god so fabulous was it It so it was so great so uh this funny thing happened because uh obviously i'd never been on a set before and i was terrified they were going to uh, say well, she doesn't know what to do or right. where to stand and everything. Uh, but uh, so I never asked any questions. Right. And uh, but you're, that's but your upbringing as well, right? Right. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, but so nobody ever told me you don't have to come every day. You just have to come the days you're oh, working. When you're on the sheet, you got you weren't looking at the sheet, seat. right? No. So I came every day, all day. <laughs> you showed up for work. I showed up for work. You had a job. And nobody ever said. You know, it's interesting that you come every, you know, I guess they, I don't know what, they just assume. And I would get a chair and put it right next to Sidney Pollack and sit next to him all day. And just watch. I just, like, here we are. And no one said anything? Here we are making this movie. No, he loved it. He was kind of always like, oh. Was it it like, you must have learned that way. If it was a mistake, at least you were like getting a class. You were a class. I did. I did. And and Dustin took me to dailies every day. He did? Uh, Yeah. Which was fantastic. He said, you got to learn how to, you know, what you think you're doing, is it translating onto screen? Oh, that's amazing. So that, so that was, uh, that was the, the uh, advanced course you were looking for that was the exactly. course in college that you didn't get exactly let's look at what you did and and did was he able well, did he give you direction yeah yeah dustin did he did too yeah yeah about acting sure yeah uh-huh. about everything about oh really life. when you go to la when you, you know was he decent oh yeah no he was it was to me for sure yeah i didn't yeah uh well, that's nice i know it was great and pollock like what well, you know i i love that guy i love sydney oh my god what was it like? What did you guys oh, talk about? Oh, it, he was genius. It was yeah. such an education to watch him. Oh yeah, direct. Um, gosh, we talked about everything, and and he, you know, he, it was it was famously sort of a, a difficult uh, shoot. I think for him that that uh, I don't know. There had been a lot of writers, and it was a lot of stress. Anyway, and uh, uh, he'd be 
rubbing his face with his hands, and I'd say, I think it's all going to be great. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> See, that politeness paid off. Exactly. Look at the chipper upbringing, it worked out. You, <laughs> you saved Pollock's sanity. Oh, there we go. That's why it happened. So yeah. I could save his sanity. Well, I mean, you know, but, but again, you know, in retrospect, that model is the one we're trying to shift a little bit. Right. <laughs> that, that wasn't your role. No, I didn't <laughs> need to take that job. But, but fortunately, uh, you know, it was a great education. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then, how does it like? And then, what happens? Do you stop modeling? Yeah. Yeah. And then I got cast in a TV show from that and then uh, moved to LA and that was it I started working Buffalo Bill Buffalo Bill yeah because Daphne Coleman was in Tootsie yeah and he thought oh she'd be great in this in this part in my new show so now now what about Daphne good guy oh yeah yeah Fantastic! It's good. It's yeah. good. Like, like I, you know, I, I, I think sometimes it's like nice to hear nice stories about guys that play assholes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Yes. <laughs> like, he was, the, he was one of the great assholes on screen. Exactly. Yeah. I but, know. but what was it? What was the transition to television like? Because, like, what's interesting about like, like I think a lot of people associate you with movies, right? And and being, you know, having that presence for for the, as long as you did, and the movies that you were in, which made a tremendous impact. But I mean, but you right at the beginning, you were like, I'll do TV, and you still oh, don't yeah. mind doing TV. No, no, I love TV. Yeah, yeah. I I had a great time. I wanted to have a spinoff of it. <laughs> you know, I was had a lot of plans. Of Buffalo Bill. Of Buffalo Bill. But uh, and then uh, was it on for a couple seasons? Yes, two seasons. Yeah, and then. I did a lot of guest spots on every show you can think of, like Fantasy Island and um, Knight Rider wow. and all those crazy yeah. shows. Uh, Remington Steel. Oh, good. And yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're just working. And you I was were, just working. And it was coming pretty steady. Yep. Yeah, so it came pretty steady. What's the, what, so where, does, uh, where, do you, where do you fit the archery in? When does that happen? <laughs> oh, that wasn't until... Gosh, that was after Long Kiss Goodnight. Um, oh, so 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 after the craziness. Yes. <laughs> you, after the crazy patch. You, you needed to focus. Yes. Yeah, on, on just a singular circle. Exactly. <laughs> you got to get get zen. So the next big film you do is uh, The Fly. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, what a movie, huh? That was my first lead part and it was really intense yeah it was so great like Cronenberg like it, it's it's interesting because like a lot of the movies like that was I would assume at that time uh, a, a fairly risky movie to do in terms of like it wasn't it must have been some some version of an independent movie on some point or was it a big studio this is a horror movie we we know what to do with this it was it was a Fox movie yeah and uh uh Mel Brooks was the producer. Oh, that's right. Interestingly, yeah. I think he produced The Elephant Man, too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I talked to Mel. He's a good guy. Such a great guy, yeah. So it, that, he always had sort of like some weird kind of faith in, or the guy that who worked for him in, in these kind of like real, you know, singular kind of uh, vision directors. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So it was a big production. So it was a, yeah, yeah it did feel like a big production and- uh and we loved it. Jeff and I just loved it. And we is that where you met him? No, we met on Transylvania six five thousand. You left that off. I'm here. sorry. I, <laughs> you know, I, I really focus on the ones I remember enjoying and seeing. Exactly. What was Transylvania six five thousand? Oh God! This 
crazy, awful small movie that we shot in Yugoslavia. In Yugoslavia. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, that was crazy. I was a, a nymphomaniacal vampire in that. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very strange. <laughs> but that's where I met Jeff. Yeah. We were together five years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, you know, like I, both of you really. I mean, there there are certain people that whose personalities always sort of transcend whatever role they're in or what. Like there's a, a, a natural intensity to the to, to the being. Really? Me too? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, okay. No, no you're, you're singular. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I mean? So, all right. So, The Fly. Now, Cronenberg, like, you know, obviously you being new to it, to the game with Pollock, you know, everything was eye-opening. Right. But working with somebody like Cronenberg, who has like a very specific and very peculiar vision and is, is sort of meticulous about, you know, how he captures it in almost all his movies, you know, what what was the experience working with him? Not really that different, you know. Yeah. He, he He's incredibly confident and mm -hmm. calm and knows yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, which... When I worked with more and different yeah. directors, uh, I found out that that's not always the case, that you're not always this calm, <laughs> focused genius <laughs> yeah. who knows exactly what they're doing and is very comfortable if other people have ideas. You know, that's an important part of it is... Are you saying some of them are tyrannical madmen? <laughs> <laughs> well, possibly. <laughs> it's happened. It's happened. Uh -huh. uh, but it seems to me that that comes more out of uh, of insecurity, you know, that uh, I have to be tyrannical because I'm, I'm scared uh, of, of other people's ideas because I don't, I don't know quite what I'm doing and it all might go crazy. Right. And so, um, They're trusting their own creative process is, is daunting. Yeah. 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 Right. Ridley Scott is like that too. Yeah. Exactly like that. Right. Just totally... So comfortable, knows happy, knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'm. It it really takes a, a certain type of person to direct because, like you know, even like uh, you know, I'm friends with Lynn Shelton, who I who I don't know if she directed you, yeah, uh, on Glow, yes, and uh, and she she's very excited about the director element, uh -huh. uh, you know, in the movie in the documentary. You know, oh, kind of like it it was very it resonated because she's a director. Yeah, just that moment where you you have a woman director saying like she was denied the opportunity to create a a body of work right yeah. you wow. know like that's a very powerful thing to to really put that into perspective mm -hmm. that you have these you know talented people that for no other reason than the systemic sexism Ugh. uh you know have all the talent and all the ideas and all of the wherewithal and uh, right. to, to execute and and create you know a, a body of work that they they don't have access right yeah, and it, you know it's it's sort of like it's 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 powerful, disturbing stuff. Yeah, it and, really is. But back to like um, Cronenberg, because that's really a, a weird kind of a, a failed romance movie. Right. Right. Yeah, that's how we looked at it—a sort of an operatic uh, uh, tragedy. And—and uh, and, you know, David said it was really a metaphor for could be for somebody having a fatal disease or something. You know that. that oh no! Uh, yeah, I definitely. Saw yeah. That. It's yeah. also there. There is an element of, of profoundly toxic masculinity in the character, <laughs> when, especially when he defends. 
you know, that moment where he defends, like, you're just trying to right. bring me down. Right, right, right. And yeah. he's, like, you know, able to climb on the ceiling. Yeah. This is amazing. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, that, that moment's a great I moment. I can't believe you remember that. Well, well it's, like, it's, it's a profound moment, you know, in any relationship mm-hmm. where, especially somebody who is, you know, you know bipolar or, or has found something that, wow, that their, right. their, their life you know, it's like it's made them feel relevant and strong and, and everything has come together for them. Yeah. And how dare you? Right. You know, and, and meanwhile, he's got weird hairs growing out yeah. of his arm and things yeah. are falling off. Yeah. His ear falls off. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, that was that was an amazing, vulnerable moment where he's like, oh, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's putting stuff into the cabinet. Yes. Oh, yeah. His teeth and things. Uh, so that moment, you know, we, we thought that was a very... Uh, important moment where his ear falls off and oh my god he realizes and you know and I hug him and very, well, he says what's happening to me yeah what's happening to me yeah. it, was, it was very wonderful and so Jeff and I went to Times Square yeah opening night to watch the movie stand in the back and watch the movie with people and it was so great because all anybody's doing is saying don't go in there it's a fly don't go in <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> when that moment happened which we thought was so tender and wonderful People screamed and were talking, so you couldn't hear the next two scenes. And it was because I I hug him on the side where the ear fell off. Yeah. And so it was so gross, you know. Oh, the, right, right. Oh, they, goopy. Yeah. So I jammed my face up against this goopy thing, and, and people were like, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. That's hilarious. We were like, oh, we should have thought. Real, well, well yeah. I mean, no, it's good. Yeah, I guess it's, it's a good. nice element. Right. It shows you really care. I cared. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then you go right into a, a more wackier horror movie. I went right to Beetlejuice. Another, another, you know, wildly independent, you know, crazy thinking right, director. Right, right. Exactly. See, I right. had to work with some great directors. Tim Burton, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, in, his, in, his, uh, in his youth. In his youth. Yep. Uh, when I met him, yeah. I said, listen, I want to be in this movie. I get this movie. Yeah. I just get it. I really picture it. And he said later, I hired her because she said she gets it. Yeah. And I wasn't sure that I got it. Right. And so I thought at least somebody on the set, well, I could ask her if I get lost. <laughs> <laughs> like, I picture these. I'm glad these guys turned out to be good experiences. Like, in Kasdan directed the accidental tour? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he's another brilliant, brilliant director. Very, just comfortable in his skin and just knows what he's doing and knows what he wants and 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 and, and you feel yourself growing as an actress during all this did oh, yeah. you study more when you were out here uh yes i did so when i got cast in uh accidental tourist i knew yeah. it was like a huge deal and i thought i better get a um uh an acting coach yeah. to make sure i do a good job and uh gary shandling who i was friendly with recommended uh, Roy London. Oh, yeah, I hear this name a lot, this yeah. Roy London fellow. Yeah, yeah. He passed away, unfortunately, uh, a little while back. But, um, but So I went to see him, and it was, it was such a genius move. I worked with him on all my movies up until he passed away. And what, what, what did he offer specifically? So we would just, the two of us, sit down with the script and just go through every line, every yeah. scene, every every moment and figure out, you know, what is going on? What do I, what do I want? What am I trying to get? And um, it just helped me focus so much right. better instead of, instead of sort of just 
feeling it and acting it that way because you feel like that's the right, right thing to do, but really try to, what's the most interesting choice I can make here? And things like, uh, this is a tiny example, but uh, I made this movie Quick Change with, with Bill Murray, and uh, there's a line, so we're, we're trying to catch this plane, the whole movie's about we're trying to get to the airport, yeah. and uh, and at one point, um, Randy Quaid, we see a plane talk, take off, and Randy Quaid says, oh no, that was our plane, we missed our plane, and the li- my line is, no, it's... It, no, if that was our plane, it would be crashing. <laughs> and so my instinct w- would have been to say, no, if it was our plane, it would be crashing. Yeah. Uh, and, and he said, what if you're trying to comfort him with, with this? You know, you're tr- and and uh, uh, so I ended up saying, no, if it was our plane, it would be crashing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, right. so, and it was just better and funnier. And Interesting. So all, that, all that kind of finding the... Um, something that seems like the opposite of what's obvious, that, that your intention is is uh, almost always the opposite of what you're saying. Like if you're saying, I hate you, you mean I love you. You know, that kind Right, of, right, yeah. That's very simplistic, but yeah. Oh, interesting. And because like you, you, it, it is kind of bizarre when you look at a script, just you know how, how much choice you have around that. I mm-hmm. mean, there is a way it's written and you do have instincts around how to play it. Right. You know, but but you know, with just like minor tweaks about right. where it comes from within you, right, can change the whole kind of tone of the of the conversation, right, yeah. right. And he also, well, this sort of fit with my personality too, because he kind of made uh, one of his goals was to make you director proof that you know so well what you're doing that you're not going to get screwed up by direction. And so, let's say I'm doing I'm doing a scene you know where I'm very very upset yeah and then the director says no I want you to do this scene very calm yeah and so instead of throwing out what you're going to do okay now I'm very upset but I'm trying to be calm right you know right I mean? yeah 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 uh, so you protect your choice by just making an adjustment right and then it turned out I don't have to talk to the director about you know I don't have to argue no I want to play it this way right right you know what I mean I just work with a guy that that like he, he and, and I didn't mind it at all because I, I know I'm just sort of raw in a lot of ways and I you know I come to the thing with a certain amount of energy usually too much so really with most directors it's sort of like could you just take that down and yeah. yeah yeah but like he would just literally say like I think this line is more like you know like he would like oh, give me a give little me a line reading, yeah. but I could feel the emotion of it right you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can do my version of yeah. what you just of the emotion you were expressing. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind when directors no, do that. Do I'm me okay. a favor. Yeah. yeah, what do you? I'm not, like, I'm that committed. It's like, no, I'm gonna. I, <laughs> let's really run the. You know, I, I, and I know actors do that all the time. I did. Right. Like, I guess I'm so you know grateful and 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 sort of like insecure enough. To not become you know that guy like I sometimes right. I don't understand how some of these bigger <gasps> stars become monsters I don't I don't know how they live with it how you know, they like, become monsters well I don't yeah. I don't I kind of understand that but still like I always give people the benefit of the doubt but you know people were like I'm not fucking getting out of this trailer until you get me this, yeah. these shoes oh it's god like, you, know, you know and it's like it happens a lot oh god it does <laughs> and it's like and it's another thing that they like not unlike. Well, it's unlike it, but 
but this the kind of stuff that the the industry absorbs and coddles mm-hmm. is you know in the name of 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 bottom line or, or just habit is is kind of profound mm-hmm. that you know entire productions are revolving you know economically and time wise and with so many people involved around a guy in a trailer throwing a shit fit right it's right. crazy it's crazy it's it like just really do your is. fucking job. It, really? Yeah. But and like, I run into that for have, sure. Right? Oh, beca- yeah. But I guess you get to a certain pay grade where they, they're not in a position to go like, fuck that guy. Right. You know, we're hanging the guy. The whole investment is hanging on that person. Uh, right. It's it, it, I, I just, I started thinking about this too after when I'm, I was watching the doc too, just like, you know, that the systemic tolerance for you know, not only sexism but just like insanity. Yeah, you, you know, uh, you know, on, because of the artist, right, on all levels, it's, right, it's kind of in, in amazing. It really is, and almost every project has somebody like that, you know. So, you, the Academy Award, you won that. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. It must have been fun. <laughs> it was so shocking. Was it shocking? <laughs> no, you know what happened. Uh, I was um, getting ready. I was so you know excited yeah. and nervous, and uh, I sat down to eat some spaghetti before going, yeah. and put on the TV, and it was Oprah's show, and she had like Gene Siskel and um, yeah. Rex Reed and all these you know uh, reviewers, and uh, they were right at the Best Supporting Actress category when I turned it on, and. They're talking about this one. Oh, yeah, she might, she might, and she might, yeah, no, no. yeah. And then the last one was me, and uh, and every single person went, oh no, 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 really? no, no oh, chance. Just what and you he, see. I had been thinking, you know, oh, I have a one in five chance or something. And yeah. I was so demoralized. After, I was like, oh, just watching. Well, I guess I guess I'll still go. Speculators, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that would have done it. You yeah, know, I, I can't go. This yeah. is gonna, it's going to be too hard. Oh well. Yeah, but you got it. And then and you got oh, up got there it. and you got to, to get the award oh, no. in front of everybody. <laughs> Back then, it was like half the world was watching. <laughs> <laughs> now they can't get anyone to watch or even host the thing. Oh my god! Right, <laughs> but uh, but it still means something, right? Yeah, it absolutely. Felt, yeah. Well, it was interesting because it it kind of felt like, wow, I I got that out of the way, <laughs> you know, r- r- pretty early and. Uh, uh, it, it kind of felt really good. Like, well, I just, I checked off something. And, yeah. And so, yeah. Now, it seems like in the doc, uh, this changes everything, that, y- you know, Thelma in, and Louise represented some sort of pivot point. Right. In in terms of the industry, you, you know, having, you know, putting some confidence and faith in female leads. Right. Having a female-driven uh, movie, right? Uh, with with specifically uh, female themes, right? Because you you know throughout the the doc and and this this mission you have with uh, the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, <laughs> like that 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 whole part of it, the research that your your right. crew, crew put in to that, that that the whole idea that you, in primarily you, I think the the two areas of like in the name of the children to right. some degree. Yes. You know, but also in the name of the, you know, grown up women who want to work. Right. 
that you, you the evidence had to be presented exactly you know on this level of like you know how women are depicted in descriptions right in scripts yep you know what are women saying and would women say that right uh you know they're, they're just their screen time in in general yep you know and then you know behind the camera on the writing level the directing level and you know all the way down the line yeah that you know that uh, 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 you had to amass evidence exactly of, of institutional sexism. Right. Like it wasn't enough just to you know, to spend a day anybody watching movies right. or television, right? But, but because of this, you know, uh, uh, kind of um, institutionalized and, and cultural sort of uh, habit, yes, of framing women like this, right. That no one was really like other than women, you know, some women were, right. were kind of pushing back on it. Right. Right. Well, what happened is, I mean, I knew what everybody knew. There were fewer female directors and writers and female, fewer female stars, you know, lead characters and all that stuff. But uh, I like like you were saying, I just that's kind of the way it is or something was my, right. my thinking. And then. uh and then when my daughter was a toddler, I, st- I started watching kids' things with her, showing her yeah. preschool shows and yeah. things like that. And I immediately noticed that there seemed to be far more male characters than female characters in what's made for the littlest kids. Uh, you, you know, Teletubbies is gender balanced. Uh, I don't know if you can tell. Yeah, but uh, yeah. but right. other than that, uh, <laughs> it seemed to be a big problem. But but apropos of what you're saying, uh, I decided first I'm just going to bring it up in when I have meetings with whoever, studio yeah. execs or producers. Or, and, uh, and every single person said, no, 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 that's not true anymore. That's been fixed. Right. And I asked dozens and dozens of people this question, and every person said, that's not true anymore. Uh-huh. And, uh, and sometimes they would name a movie with one female character as proof right. that gender inequality was fixed. Right. And uh, so that's when I realized I want to get the data uh, because how I can't be wrong in what I'm seeing, I don't think, and and so, so that's what I did, and and it, of course it proved to be absolutely true. It's, and it's, fa- it's fascinating data, you know that, right. and, and the sort of work that went into doing it, and uh, but like, and also it, the the doc goes into the fact that that wasn't the way it always was, right? That in and I think that's a, a, a kind of a profound piece that mm-hmm. in the silent era. There, like, were literally, you know, hundreds of women working in film and directing film and in the production side of film, starring, that, yep. yeah, starring, of course. And you know, well, Mary Pickford was, you know, a, had her own United Artists was right. she was part of it. Was right. it Griffith, Chaplin, Fairbanks, and her maybe one other one. I don't know. I don't remember who hmm. was involved. But, but the primary reason it changed was when the studios were sort of became kind of property of banks and the corporate structure uh, was less, you know, kind of Wild Westy and more organized along corporate hierarchical lines, which were, you know, intrinsically male. Right. Right. So the the distrust of women or the condescension was, you know, brought in from another business almost. Right. Yep. Like there, it's almost like there was this silent era that you know could have been uh, flourished as an artistic, you know, kind of uh, independent world of of, of uh, maybe not so much multicultural at that point, but certainly a gender balanced mm-hmm. uh, profession. Mm-hmm. You know, you become come under the scrutiny of 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 bankers and corporate interests. Right. 
which right. were men. Right. And then and that's when it changed. Like it was actually there was a there was this weird utopic time. Exactly. <laughs> and, and not many not many uh I had no idea. Right. And and, and there's a few areas you could think of that started out uh balanced and then got work you know, usually it's been Everything's been male dominated, and then you know, sure. women try to get in. Yeah, but but at the time, like it wasn't until they realized this is big money in this yes. that you know that yeah. this is the most powerful uh, cultural medium mm -hmm. ever right. harnessed right. by humans, right. you know, pulled down from the ether. The <laughs> celluloid business. Yes, we're going to own the brains of everybody. Right. And men have got to be in charge of owning brains. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we have a certain message we want to send. <laughs> so did you feel when, when Thelma and Louise, when you got that script and, you know, you saw, you know, the, the impact it could have, what were all these issues pressing at that point? Is that when it began to sort of be, become apparent that, like, uh, you know, th this was going to be a uh, a breakthrough movie and, and you were aware of the issues at that time? No. And and nobody involved in it had any idea the nerve that it was going to strike or had that as a goal. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was the best script I'd ever read. And uh, and it was unusual in that it had two female leads. And I couldn't decide which part I wanted to play. But uh, anyway, and it wasn't until the movie came out. I mean, we were literally thinking, oh, we hope somebody sees this movie. You know, and, yeah. uh, it seemed like a smallish movie, uh, pretty low budget yeah. uh, for, for certainly for a Ridley Scott movie. And uh, when it exploded like that, we, we were stunned. It really? was amazing and uh, very impactful uh, because it wasn't just that people were talking about it and and it made money and and all that but it was uh it was so different when i ran into somebody who recognized me from that movie than before uh you know yeah. people would say oh i liked beetlejuice or whatever right and right right now they wanted to talk about it and tell me you know who they saw it with and how many times they saw it and uh you know what it meant to them and how it changed their life or uh you know sometimes people would say my friend and i acted out your trip yeah like, <laughs> i'd right. be like which part <laughs> <laughs> really well there's a few people dead yeah. And, yeah yeah but but also i think that you know in thinking about it in light of you know the information mm -hmm. you know they were fully you know realized female characters because a woman wrote it. A right, woman wrote it. Right. Exactly. That there are things that happen in that movie that are specifically, you know, so uh intimate and in, in related to the female experience right. that they were beyond the conception of a man, really. I I could yeah. I can agree with that. You know, because like you know, because I started to think about those scenes, you know, yeah. like in it, it the the whole the the horrible sadness of whatever Susan went through, which, right. you know, sort of r remains unspoken. Yeah. And then, you know, you're kind of falling for Brad Pitt, wh who wouldn't, and you've given <laughs> your predicament of right. the crazy, weird, tightly wrapped, toxic husband. Right, You right. know, and this is the first time that you, and then the money, th it's just like, <gasps> and how, how you reacted to that was was specifically uh, uh, from a woman's point of view. Yes, yes. And it, it would not it would not have worked in any other way. Right. Right. You're right. Stuff that's in there probably wouldn't have been there if a man had written it, right? Right. 
So when does the kind of like you know, obviously you talk to some directors I don't I don't remember their names who you know obviously there were plenty of women in Hollywood realizing the problem right before you know Thelma and Louise and uh-huh. you know going way back you know the, these fights had been fought before right uh, you know you go into the, there's a couple arcs in the movie yeah but the, the, the one of the major through lines is the DGA yes the directors guild and those directors. Mm-hmm. What kind of happened politically in the show business way, you know, after Thelma and Louise ar- around the issues that are, are now kind of at the forefront? Well, the interesting phenomenon I noticed was that all the press about it said that now everything is going to be different, you know, because this movie had, right. you know, uh, had such an women impact. Women can carry a movie. Yes, women can carry a movie, and we're going to see so much more of that now. And then the very next movie I made was Leah of Their Own, where people said the same thing. Now there's going to be so many more female sports movies because it's been proven that there's an appetite for yeah. that. And then none of that happened. Uh, you know, I think the thought was from everybody that this that things really would start to change people yeah, because would, like you know we did what they all wanted to do we made money right we made money so you know how how could it like it's good big hit that's yeah. great yeah let's copy that um and uh actually callie Corey, the writer told me a story that um she had a writer friend of hers that was uh, three years later was pitching a movie to some studio and it had also happened to have two female stars, but it had nothing else to do with Thelma and Louise. And they said, no, 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 there's been Thelma and Louise. Like, it was almost like, now we can't have movies anymore with two female leads because it's been done. It was just the craziest thing. And then, you know, what I noticed was every few years, a movie would come out starring women and everybody would latch onto that and say, okay, well, now we're done. Now things are done and it's all changed. And, uh, and it absolutely didn't. So this sort of reflective reaction of a male-dominated business was we 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 threw them the bone, yeah, and uh, you know that should placate them for a while, right? And that it that they're a fluke, that they're always a one-off, that you right. can never get any momentum going because everybody says, yeah, but mm, you know that we can't trust that that will happen because I felt like you know realized that Hollywood seemed to be run on the idea that uh, women will watch men, but men won't watch women. So everything we do has to be based on that fact. Uh, And it includes uh, girls will watch boys, but boys won't watch girls. So everything had to be male-dominated. And if there was a fluky, you know, um, instance where a girl was the lead, that's, yeah, but we still have to stick to our formula. Yeah, because it's what people expect. Right. I, I guess the the thing that, that struck me that was interesting is that, you know, what what's being presented here is logical. It's, it's logical and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But because of the, the paradigm that exists, you know, these are men that don't think they're bad men. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, so like they, and they just can't get the brain pop. Right. That that makes them see how stilted it is, right? Or that it is fundamentally, um, you know, discriminating, right? Right. Because it's always been the way it's been. Yes. And and that's sort of a, a weird thing to me because like, it, you're you're dealing with you know thousands of years of of history. It's almost genetic. Yep. Yeah, but but the the switch that has to be thrown is a fairly simple one to throw. Yeah, and and once it's like you know once 
men realize it, what they do at that crossroads really yes. determines, right. are you going to commit to being this kind of person mm-hmm. or are you going to be a, a, a monster? Are you going to consciously support, uh, you know, instead of unconscious, having it be unconscious discrimination, are you going to now consciously That's sort of, Yeah, right. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, once you go to AA right. and you get sober, if you start drinking again, you still got a head full of AA. Right. Saying like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. So, and if you're saying like, you know, shut the fuck up, I'm doing what I want to do. Right. Then, you know, you got personal problems to reckon with. Right. <laughs> Exactly. And and there's a lot of people that have personal problems to reckon with. Yeah. Well, you know, I think think people don't realize uh, how much unconscious gender bias we all have, particularly men. I think you could say... Well, I know I don't have gender bias. You know, uh, I have I have friends who are women, <laughs> uh, but we all have it. Men and women have it, and it's perhaps genetic by now. But uh, but the popular culture is reinforcing it every minute from the second you start consuming popular culture. You're seeing that men are more important than women, and you just take it in. You don't even have to realize. Well, that's you know, like there's no little girl who says. I'm not seeing myself fairly represented up there. I should. I should yeah, and also then the be, sexualizing right. uh, that happens in women, right? Yeah, to, to themselves in order to right. do what they think is necessary to function in the world. Exactly. But don't you feel like the this industry uh, thinks of itself as this separate thing? Well, we're because we, we're a creative community. It's different. We don't have to like. We have to make decisions based on creative process rather than what's fair or right you know do you- no no I, I i think so but but i also think that you know really on the bigger level it's it's big big money yeah and like you know the, it, it seems like now you know whether progress has been made in a mainstream way that you know more people are making things of different you know uh, uh ethnic groups and you know sexual orientation and gender mm-hmm. but you know it doesn't get the support of of, right. of of a larger movie but that that's true with a lot of things in the movie business and I think that you know, right now, like I, I guess they're they're all pretty excited that they've, you know, successfully, they being the executives, yeah. is that you know we've integrated the Marvel universe, <laughs> and uh, you, you know, so right. so that's all that me- matters culturally and on the bottom line level, right? But so the the disappointment of Thelma and Louise and the momentum that happened after that was right. that it, it it did just recede back into its right. standard format, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it changed me uh, tremendously. It was kind of the start of all my awakening. And, League of Their Own, Thelma and Louise. Yeah. 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 A very powerful one-two punch, and uh, uh, it made me. Well, what it made me realize was how few opportunities we give women to come out of a movie feeling. Uh, inspired and empowered by the female characters and that's kind of the best part of watching a movie is you get to identify with somebody and you live vicariously through them and uh it just made me sick to think about women being robbed of that experience right you know? of, of seeing themselves in things right you know people of color as well and, and absolutely and it it, it, it just like yeah, because when you really think about how important TV and movies are, mm-hmm. you know, music's a little different because you know it seems like really everyone's pretty well represented in music. Yeah. You can find your own way there, right? But in these very in the stories that the culture tells, mm-hmm. 
you know that there's one point in the doc where someone says, you know, a, a black woman is like, "Do I even exist?" Whoa, yeah, I know. right, I know, right. And like, and I don't know that again. That like, I, I, I don't know that I put that much in my own mind intellectually that much emphasis on the reflection that movies provide. Right. You, right. You know, it, it, and I, I, I just, you know, I understand the issues. But I never really, you know, extended my empathy to like, you know, I don't know if right. I'm really represented in movies, but certainly I, I identify and I can latch on to a character sure. as my guy. Right. But that's just it, is my guy. Right. Do, do women have their woman? Right, right. You know, not not usually. Yeah. 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 And a lot of times, uh, if there's an ensemble of like, let's say there's six and there's one woman, uh, I think as a sort of trying to placate uh, women or feminists or whatever, you know, she's very tough. She's the toughest one. And yeah. she's the not funny one. Right, <laughs> uh, right. And that's written in the description of the that's, script. Yeah, yeah. She's tough as nails. And um, there's even, I noticed a bunch of kids' movies, animated kids' movies, where there'd be like four main characters and one is a woman. And they oh, they cast somebody who's not a comic. It, you know, all the other guys are Hilarious. Ben Stiller she's or, or Chris blanket. Rock, yeah. and she's the wet blanket. The, yeah, the, yeah, the bitch character. Yeah, the one. Come on, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, going back to to your career, so when you do what what happened after Cutthroat Island? You know that you know in relation to because like you know in the information about you, and I don't know how you see it. That that sort of you know they kind of hung the 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 sort of failure of that movie on you. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that? Uh, let me think. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about what a big failure it was. Uh, but do you think I don't know? I don't know that I saw so much that people said, "Oh, it's a failure because it was a wo- right. woman instead of a man." Yeah. Uh, but uh, people were certainly very eager to. Jump, jump on that, yeah. And you were you. That was Rennie Harlan, right? Who you were with at that time? Yes. That must have made things difficult. <laughs> yeah. It was t- <laughs> no, I was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we were able to commiserate with each other, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but uh, you know, because we put a lot of effort and passion into that. Sure. Uh, but, and then we, the next movie we made was uh, made together was um, Long Kiss Goodnight, which got a much better. That did all right reception. at the box it did office. All right. Yeah, yeah. But did you feel that there was a shift in your career, you know, after those movies, you know, that was particularly because you were a woman? Well, yeah, there there was a shift for sure. And it was right around when I turned 40. Let's think. Yeah, I think I turned 40 sort of right after Long Kiss Goodnight. And, uh, And so... You know, I had thought from the beginning that it wasn't going to happen to me, you know. Yeah, that, right. Because when I was starting out was when Meryl Streep was winning, you know, French sure, tennis sure. women and, and Glenn Close and all those women. Sally Field were having these fabulous movies every year. And I thought, well, they're fixing everything. I don't have to worry. And uh, what happened to me was I, w- I was averaging about a movie a year. Yeah. And I was being very fussy about what I said yes to. Yeah. Um, until I was 40, and then from when I was 40 to 50, I made one movie. And but you did a lot of TV. I did, I did some, some, I didn't do a lot of TV, I did some TV, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that, what, when did the Gina Davis show happen? That was, right, that was about when I was 41, uh-huh. I think, yeah. Uh, and then when I was 50, I got um, 
commander in chief. Uh, got to uh, be the president. I got to be the president. <laughs> I had a short administration, but, <laughs> but it, a one-season administration. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but that was really um, demoralizing. I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't offered anything, yeah. uh, but nothing that you know that spoke to me or that I wanted to. Uh, to play, it was just completely different all of a sudden, you know. And so, my theory is from examining this a great deal is that uh, people think of having a female character when it needs to be female, like she's the girlfriend of somebody or the wife or whatever, and uh, and that's going to tend to be somebody younger. Um, and then, yeah. So for characters that could be either. Nobody's thinking about that. They're, yeah. They just, you know, the the default is always male. So if it's the fifty year old boss or the whatever, uh, uh, or even the best friend of the character, of course, male, 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 male. And uh, if they stop to think about it, they could realize. And this is what I talk about when I meet with studios. Um, Look at all the characters and see which ones you can turn into female because it doesn't make any difference. If they're not having sex with somebody, it doesn't matter if it's a male or female. And that's why I think so many women over 40 are not working is because people aren't being creative enough and thinking, well, wait a minute. Why couldn't this be a woman? You know, Right. And, and you would think that these men in their 40s and 50s who's at this point, you know, I, I would assume their wives are involved in things and doing things in life. And right. Their daughters are doing things in life. And right. They might have some friendly relationships with <laughs> women that are non-sexual and whatnot. Right. Exactly. But it's still that it's a paradigm thing. It still, is. you're it up is. against this. You know this. Uh, the way it always has been. Right. Still. And, and unconscious bias and def- you know it's just so bias, easy to to uh, yeah. to default. Uh, to mail you just don't think of it well but it's interesting too like you know there's uh, I had a conversation with somebody about this about this kind of idea that you know and and this is something I see as a dude and I think that it it happens a lot on all levels in front of the camera writing directing Mm -hmm. is that you know now that things are 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 kind of publicly and culturally shifting and 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 you know and the industry is aware and, and I think trying uh, to do something about it mm-hmm. is you get a, a bunch of white dudes going like, well, I couldn't get the job because they're, they're only hiring women. Oh, oh my god! I couldn't god. get the job because they only want black people. I couldn't oh get the job. But, yeah, it's right. It's true. And and but see the the the, the fundamental fault in that is interesting because you know the, the the system the system given the way it is is that you know men on all levels no matter how shitty they are at their job right if they can do them even if they're just hackers right you know they're going to get the job right right because this is the way the system is built up so these guys who who claim that like it's not about wh- whether you can do the job or not right what, that's the fallacy right it's like a lot of people have to realize like well maybe you weren't doing it that good that you all the, what's happening is it's become you know, with equality on, right. on some level and less discrimination, it becomes more competitive because you have a whole world of people that are fucking great at it yeah. that have been denied the opportunity. And now, you know, your shoddy little resume is not going to stand <laughs> up on the new field. Right. 
Right. It's, it's not that it's being stilted in any way. It's just become more competitive because they've entered. There's a whole other world of talent coming in. Right. Right. So these guys who were complaining anyways about their place in the world and why couldn't they get their own show on the air, or whatever it is. Right. You know, now they can hang it on this. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing how many uh, people, men, think that way that well, now they only want black women. Or, or so, well, really? Uh, well, let's look at the numbers. How right. many black, is it really that more than 50% of the people working now are, but, but the are black women? But the assumption that, that that's the only requirement right. is really, exactly. it, it, that's not like unconscious bias. Right. I mean, or unconscious racism. Right. That's bias, bias, because you don't take it to the next step, which is like, maybe that person's completely qualified, has an right. interesting vision, right. you know, is better than you at the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't even want those possibilities to enter the, the conversation. Right. Right. They, they stop at black. They stop at women. They stop at gay. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, my theory is that the 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 easiest thing to change is the on-screen representation because yeah. I really feel like that's unconscious for the most part. That that's unconscious bias. People don't realize they're doing it. For, just as, just from my experience and how the data makes all the difference. That they say, "What are we doing?" Yeah. We, right. Sure. Really? Right. Right. Is that? But that behind the camera. It's a, it's conscious bias because everybody's known those numbers for decades. I, everybody's been completely aware, and it does nothing. Knowing the numbers does nothing to make anybody say, I, I, "Yeah, to, to let's say, do better." Right. Well, I'm guilty of it. I mean, I had a show. It's I'm sadly, uh, I'm sad that that you know, that my mind is so blown by all this, but it's good. Right. Well, what are you finding? Now, like, you know, when you, you're and I don't know how recent those experiences of you telling what you're telling to studio people. Right. Uh, yeah. We changed that. Now, do you, are you finding a shift in that? Because in the in the doc, you know, the the 2018 numbers for directorial employment. Right. Uh, were still pretty. They were low. Oh, yeah. No, nothing is improving as far as behind the camera uh, and, and directors. It does nothing but kind of go down and, and maybe, you know, it's always uh, single digits. And there's you can't even say, well, in 500 years we'll be equal because there's no progress whatsoever. So, um, like I said, that's a big problem that's going to take uh, people making very conscious decisions. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bad job and I'm going to do better by being very conscious of it and and taking these steps. Uh, you can't just think I'm hiring. I don't think anybody could say I hire based on merit if they haven't made uh, conscious proactive steps to overcome their unconscious bias. Like you can't say I'm so woke. All I do is make my decisions based on well, again, merit. I think that again it stops at that that thing that there's this sort of idea that this is all some kind of um expansion of affirmative action you know that you know that they're just they're not looking past the idea of like you know well how many women are there we got to get women in here as right. opposed to like what is the full expanse of people that are capable of doing this yeah and, and i want to see the resumes of of women people of color and you know and, and the regular white guys right. so you know if we're gonna you know start to integrate this decision making process let's see the full pool of talent exactly not like you know well we, we're required yes 
to to get one of those exactly. ladies in there. Yeah, we just we you know. Oh, so so when I was in Australia a couple of years ago, they told me about this short film competition, very well known there. And every year, only about seventeen percent of the films that are chosen for the competition are directed by women. And a couple of years ago, they had the thought, you know what? Let's just try taking the names off of these movies so nobody knows whether a man or a woman uh, directed it straight to 50-50. So, and these are people who were trying to do a good job. You know, I really want to make sure we're fair. Yeah. And they had to take the names off. So it just shows how deep it is and how you can't just think your way out of it. You have and, to and, make, you know. Yeah, and and also, you know, and you know, I'm talking to men. It's like, okay, look, you know, we've all been assholes. <laughs> you know, it, you right. know, I certainly have. You mm-hmm. know, and I've I've talked about it at length, and I've I've you know had to reckon with myself around a lot of it, but it is sort of on us. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that now that the push is there and the awareness is there, right? It, it, like it, it is on us. Yeah, you're struggling against you know a history of manness. Right. And and your own stubbornness right. and and your own you know uh, unchecked bias mm-hmm. uh, that is just intrinsic. Right. So like it, it is an active struggle, and in in I think a lot of dudes. Right. Who are and they and, and it's a struggle within themselves. Right. And and to 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 sort of step out you know and sort of take the hit of 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 like you know dug in douchebags going look at the virtue signaling you know white knighting fuck. Cuck, you know, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I'm a grown ass man. I'm 55 years old. I'm not going to talk to you like a comic book character. And, you know, it's like, you know, you can be the way you want to be. But, you know, it's our responsibility as evolved people to do this. Right. Well, you know, John Landgraf, uh, uh, it was when he heard the data, when he heard uh, the numbers about how he was doing and how low they were ranked. That he decided he was going to do something about it, and and so bottom line, bottom line. So like you're saying, once you know that, you got to do something about it, right? And also, it's sort of like if this helps, you know, it's sort of like there's money in these women. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, movies starring women have made more money at the box office for the last few years. In twenty uh, twenty seventeen, they made thirty eight percent more money at the box office. Mm. Uh, if there was a female lead character, so um, well, that's good. But on some level, it's because it's exciting and new. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know what I was going to tell you uh, that I've never really talked about uh, is so we meet with everybody, every union and guild and whatever. But uh, this is with your institute, with my institute, yes. Uh, but uh, we had never spoken to anybody at the directors' guild, and so the woman who uh, my CEO was constantly calling them and trying to, can Gina speak to the DGA? And uh, at, at first they said, no, she's too controversial. Really? Adding more women is too controversial. Okay. But she kept calling and trying different people and whatever. And then they said, oh, we don't let anybody who's not in the union speak to the union. And then we find out that's not true. Of course, they have lots of people come in. And then finally, a year later, they call and say, guess what? We are going to let Gina come and speak to the DGA, but only to the women. In 2013, they said out loud, <laughs> Gina can only speak to the women directors, who I don't need to talk to. Yeah. You know, uh, obviously. And uh, 
But I went anyway to this conference and I said, I don't need to be talking to you guys. And they were like, we know. Oh, <laughs> uh, and that was 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Where are we at now with that? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been back. <laughs> I haven't yet talked to, uh, you know, had an opportunity to speak to the male directors um, huh. as a group. But uh, it's a big problem. All I'm talking about is add more female characters. That's all I wanted to say. Hey, by the way, add more female characters. Or, you know, cast women in some of the men's parts. And, or let know. them direct. It wasn't about even directing? No, it was, you're the director. Here's what you could do for on-screen representation. Given, you know, your visibility in the industry, have you found any uh, receptive or actively supportive men in these different areas of business as you, you have these meetings or like directors or I mean, you know, everybody. Right. Right. That's that's why I thought um, that the thing to do with the research was to go directly to the creators. You know, I don't have to get the public aroused and have them demand, you know, whatever. I could just go very quietly and privately in a very friendly and collegial way and say, I don't think you knew this. What do you think? And uh, and the reaction has always been, oh, my God, what are we doing? Um, and uh, and that they want to change it. Obviously, I'm mostly talking to men um, because they're the ones that are decision makers and most of the writers and most of the producers and all that and directors. So, um, But they're very receptive to it. And I think part of it is that I'm talking about what kids see first. And um, people that make kids entertainment do it because they love kids. And so they're Pretty, pretty receptive horrified yeah. to find out what they're doing and and out very, of habit yes yes without even realizing it and uh uh that's why i knew i needed the data because none of them realized it without without that so um so we're we're actually making progress as far as on-screen representation goes and like i said that's the lowest hanging fruit that's the absolute easiest thing to change and i think it will change dramatically within you know 10 years it's just so like you know and, and i have one uh, it's it, it's it's kind of amazing how fragile the male ego is because like so much. Of oh, this, when you said I have what you meant a male ego, yeah, <laughs> you know, but a lot of it, you know that that is the you know day to day individual autonomous face of this thing uh-huh. are in these vessels that are you manifestations of this ego that is threatened fundamentally threatened. Uh, by women, and why? Uh, why do you think that is? I'm trying. I'm trying to think right now. <laughs> right. Um, like why? Like in other words, why would I don't dispute what you're saying? But what makes a male ego so fragile when you're the guys? Why? In, oh, in I think it's, oh, I think I because I think not unlike what we're talking about. It, it is built on on the history of dominance. Right. So, oh, okay. You know, even in even in mundane situations, you know, I I, I imagine even, uh, you know, in 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 situations where the the power dynamic is is you know limited, mm-hmm. that you know, even in a relationship, mm-hmm. that you know, there there's the part of the male ego that's sort of like you, know, you don't don't manipulate me, you know, you know, I'm better at you than this, uh, you know, I, I I'm a man. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to cry. You know, I, I, I don't need to show that part of me to you. Right. You know, I'm a man. You know, and and don't try to get it out of me, <laughs> lady. Right. right. 
right. you know, yeah. like it, it, I think that that the, the wiring of the male ego is is built on the same foundation as, as all these problems. Mm-hmm. But that's how you know, as a person you're sitting across from, you know, that's how it's going to reveal itself. Right. Right. It's 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 based on that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, but like you know, in trying to open up to a, a more vulnerable place. Yeah, I, I, I have to assume it's fairly emotionally infantile, hmm. you know, that, that reaction, hmm. you know, to, to be threatened like that. Mm-hmm. And who knows how, where it comes from in a lot of individuals. But right. to sort of put yourself forward and, and, and live in, in the vulnerability or, the, or, 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 or at least un, untether yourself from, from that you know, male-dominated paradigm mm-hmm. Is is like weird and new and and, and scary, right. and, and you feel like you might be, you know, just you know, cry or or get beaten somehow, you, you know. So like right. to sort of like you know wade into that pool, yeah. You know, it's 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 uh, sadly a lot to ask of some dudes, right? <laughs> right. You know, it, right. It, because it's it, it's it's scary on an existential level, right? Right. Yeah, everything you thought was right might not be. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. In terms of, of work now, do you feel like you're working enough? Uh, well, you're busy with this stuff, which is important. Busy with work. that stuff, which is important, but it's not my day job. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I would definitely work much more if there was, if the stuff was there. Do you like doing like when you, because I know like as I talk to actors, there's a lot of things that you do that you know going in, it's not going to be the greatest thing, but you're going to do the best you can. You know, like, I, I assume that there are some acting jobs. Well, this show is like, well, I don't know how it's going to go. Or like this movie, like it could be good. I'm not sure it's out of my, con- it's in my control, but I'm, I, you know, I like the part. Oh. Uh, well, you don't have to, I mean. Well, it, you know, I, I've been, lucky. I've been really lucky yeah, in, yeah. in that, uh, in that, frankly, I haven't run out of money yet. Right, right. <laughs> you know, okay. I always say I can only be this choosy uh, because I can afford to wait. Sure. Um, and someday I'll be in some horrible movie <laughs> uh, or be in something that said, oh, I don't know how this is going to yeah, work yeah. out. But, I, but I, usually it's I hope good. It's okay. You like but it. usually it's not that I think, oh, this is going to be successful, but I love the part and I, yeah, yeah. I love the director and it seems like a great idea. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and Stuart Little was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really fun. People loved those. People loved them, yeah. Kids? That was fun. It must be nice to do kid stuff. It is. It is. It's fun to have little kids recognize you. Yeah? Yeah, uh, it is. They, they get all excited. They do. They do. Although they really- That you're a real person? Yeah, yeah. But, and, but they stare at me a lot because I don't look exactly like I did before. And, right, and right. And so they're like, wow, I think that's Mrs. Little, but yeah, is it really? But, but one of the f- most fun parts is- um, Talking to girls or young women that play sports because of League of Their Own—that's really fun. I know that was great in the documentary. That like you know that that's a whole other sort of result of that movie that yeah. you couldn't anticipate. No, you no. Know, yeah, like I got into sports, you know. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, you're doing great work. I certainly liked working with you on Glow. I'm I loved working with you. Yeah, I'm that excited for fun. that to come out. Yep. And uh, and and thanks for. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, being part of my education. <sighs> Seriously. Really? You know, I don't know how much, you know, are you a producer on the doc? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. Good thank you. you. That was fun. Gina Davis. I love her. I love her. 
Everybody loves her. But I, I just talked to her. The documentary, This Changes Everything, will have a one-night-only showing across the country tonight, July 22nd, before going into theaters and on demand on August 9th. You can see her in Glow, Season 3, and she's uh, also going to win. Is it a winning thing? She is being honored with the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences at this year's Governor's Award Ceremony. I'm going to play some meditative guitar that has a tinge of sadness to it. Okay. All right, it was 400 degrees on the nose in Boise, Idaho. And it was raining sideways and hailing. But that's just the way it is now.